welcome to the Living Ageless and Bold podcast. Each episode, I bring you amazing women who inspire, educate, and share their experiences and journeys along the way. So grab a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, find a cozy spot, and let's relax and have some fun hearing what can be accomplished after 55. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation with my guest today. Uh, Ash Beckham is an author. She's a globally recognized speaker. Um, her talks coming out of your closet, and I am so gay, have over 15 million views on YouTube. Um, she's a huge proponent of authenticity, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about her journey and, and what the significance of authenticity in today's age is. So um, welcome, Ash. Uh, I'm so excited to be here, Christina. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great. So, you know, I've learned from this podcast um, and, and being the age that we are, life is a journey and you don't wake up and, you know, have TED Talks with 15 million views. It, it's a process and a journey. So let's talk about kind of, you know, where your journey started. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see. I, um, as far as speaking, I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and my parents are both entrepreneurs back in Ohio. And I swore up and down, I was never going to live that life. And then <laughs> about 18 months into one corporate job. And I was like, I don't think this is for me. So, uh, I was piecing I together. Yeah, exactly. I was piecing together, you know, enough. I was single at the time and had, uh, you know, didn't have any kids. So you could kind of you know, you could have steak one night and ramen the next and it works okay. So I was piecing stuff together and finally got to a point where it was sustainable. Like I had enough, uh, you know, side gigs and seasonal gigs. And so it all kind of worked out and I hadn't really had time to do anything creative. And so I went to, um, an event called ignite Boulder. Uh, uh -huh. and so their frame is you have, uh, five minutes, exactly. The slides auto advance every 15 seconds. So their tagline is, um, enlighten us, but make it quick. Uh, so I went to that as an audience member and there was, uh, a guy that got up. He was like the first guy that did it. And he spoke about his ups and downs with weight loss. Um, and nobody in Boulder talks about that and men never talk about it. And he was just so compelling about, it felt like such a taboo conversation, even though it wasn't, I was like that, I want to make people feel like that. And, and so yeah. the next time I kind of, you know, made it creative challenge for myself is like, okay, next time I have an application process, I'm going to do it. But I knew I was going to have to talk about something that was, I was, you know, it was impassioned for me. Uh, and it was not using the word gay in a negative way. So I did that. I got some traction online. And so then kind of the next hurdle, you know, that was like the 5k and then the, the you know, the 10k was applying right. to do a Ted talk and, um, got lucky enough that I got selected for that and, um, great coaching uh, along the way of really kind of getting that story out there. And, and then all of a sudden I was perceived by others post head talk as, as an expert. It took me a couple of years to kind of catch up with that label, you know, decide inside that that's what I actually was, but, um, that was the journey. And then I was kind of off, off and running in this career I had never planned. So I read somewhere that, and I don't know if it was maybe your, your nieces and nephews that, that you felt you were kind of like this accidental advocate, um, of LGBTQT and, and, and telling these stories because you were worried about, you know, what were their friends going to think if yeah. they said, yeah. Right. So, so let's talk about that. It was so, you know, Boulder, Colorado is a pretty progressive community. And so I wasn't worried about that. Like you didn't have to, um, kind of just like being out. I felt very safe 
uh, in yeah. most contexts. Um, you know, there's the, you know, college bars making a decision of whether or not you're going to hold your partner's hand is I think like a conscious decision, but generally speaking, um, I lived a pretty out and happy life and then realized that I didn't have kids of my own at that point, but nieces and nephews and friends of ours here that are like family. And I knew that they were going to have to answer those questions, you know, of like, why do, why do you, why do you have two moms? Why is, why do you have two aunts? You know, like, what are those questions? And knowing that kids needed to have those answers to those stories before they were asked and, and put on the spot. Like it's, it's not weird until somebody makes it weird for kids. And so right. how do you kind of have that conversation and, and create these allies um, in town and know how damaging language can be and, and how easy the conversation is and, and that we're not really that different. And so that was kind of the impetus of it was I needed to do my part, like just being out in a place that was safe um, wasn't enough. Um, and having this platform and, and the, you know, support and the privilege that I have of being able-bodied and white and cisgendered, all of those things, you know, almost got to the point of like, how could I, how could I not, right? How could I not try to have that conversation and not in the, you know, tis to soapbox way, which again, like I am a huge proponent of people that like to have conversations that way. And that's their means of, of expression. It just wasn't mine. And so, you know, a sense of humor, laughing at yourself, making yourself not the hero, but the goat of the stories just seemed to be a way that was easier for me to connect. Yeah. And and we've come such a long way. Um, I remember I was probably 16 years old and my mom's youngest brother, we're actually only 10 years apart. And I remember he came to visit from Seattle and my best friend and I figured out that he had been in a gay bar in D.C., And it was that, but you didn't talk about it in, you know, the early eighties. So that was a big, you know, and now I look at my kids who've gone through high school and they're like, you know, that something happened in the fraternity at school and at my son's fraternity. And, and, you know, they, somebody else said something about someone being gay. He's like, I don't care if he's gay, as long as he's cool, I'll hang out with him. Right. You know, it's just such a, I love how it shifted, you know, I, I love hearing you talk about it this way. Uh, but one of the things in, in your one talk is it, it's coming out of your closet. It's not necessary. This is for everybody. Like right. everybody has things that they need to get out. Um, so yeah, share a little more about, you know, how, how that talk came about and how you help people with that part of it. Yeah. Well, I think so much of it is relativity. You know, I feel like there's so many allies that stand on the sidelines and of course, if it's, you know, your uncle or you know, your sibling or your best friend from college, right? When you have that immediate connection, that makes it so simple to be an ally. But there's this vacuum of people that just don't know anybody that's gay and they don't really feel like they can relate to that experience because they don't have that immediate interaction. And I think my, the way that I saw it was it really isn't that different. Like if you are at any point in your life scared to tell someone something about yourself that they maybe don't know or that you haven't been forthcoming with because you think they will it will change the way they see you that's it like it doesn't matter what that thing is to me right so we i talked about it before you know if you uh as part of the talk was like if you're you know you have a, a an illness that you don't know about or you have a 
you know, a hidden disability or any of these different, different things that we have or, you know, bankruptcy or any, anything that people can't see, right. That fear, that pit in your stomach of we have this relationship and now it's going to be different if I'm truly myself, that applies to everybody. We all hide something, right? right? And so if we can relate on that somatic feeling, then we can kind of, we can bridge that gap and you'll never know what it's like to do this. Okay, fine. But you know what it's like to do something really similar. And so that right. was the connection point of this isn't that unique of an experience so how do we how how do we start to have some compassion and some empathy towards each other and that whatever that closet is is hard for that person like it's it's all relative you know like i can't say i can tell you the hardest thing i've ever done can i compare that to the hardest thing you've ever done i don't know we i'm either going to minimize your challenges or minimize mine and that's kind of not the point if it was hard for you i know what it's like to do something hard and then we can start to relate to each other Right. That's, that's so profound, but so easy. Right. It's no, simple. It, it's so simple. Right. Cause we, you're right. We all have it. We all have something that, you know, maybe only one, you know, your, your best friend from high school, you might have that secret that you've never told anybody else yeah. that's buried in you. And, um, wow, that's really, I, I do. It's everybody has that and you just really simplified it. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about authenticity because that's a big part of what you talk about. Um, but I feel like it's starting to be overused mm-hmm. now. You know, authentic this, authentic that, be, be your authentic self. You know, I'm truly authentic. I'm like, well, if you're saying it, you, you know, if you have to tell people you're being authentic. Right. Um, so let's, yeah, t- tell me more about, about true authenticity. Yeah, well, my, uh, my first kind of step into authenticity was writing the TED talk. And I had this amazing uh, speaker coach named Aaron Weed, who's a friend of mine in town. And she really had this, this fundamentally different concept of like, what does authenticity look like? And that it isn't a destination, but a, a journey, right? It's something you're trying to get to and it changes, right? Like think of any of us, what was authentic when I was, you know, 10 is different than when I'm 30 or when I'm 50. Right. And so it isn't something we achieve. It's a practice, right? And so there's this idea in this conversation of, of having and, and writing this talk and, and really making it resonate was what do I think? What do I feel? What do I want? Right? What are these like desire based truths? And, and that some of those things are consistent, right? My age, where I'm from, my marital status, do I have kids? Any of those things, right? Like they change, but they're verifiable, right? And then emotionally, you have you know, what I felt like this morning is going to be different than what I feel like tomorrow or a week from Tuesday. Right. So, so that changes. Um, so my awareness on what authenticity looks like there, and then what do I want? Right. So if it's in, in a, in a talk, it's desired outcomes or hard conversations or interactions, knowing what I want. And especially so many women, like when was the last time anyone asked you, or you thought of what you actually wanted? Like we, we are in this place of functionality where we don't do that internal check-in because we are servant leaders and that's what we do, right? We just, we worry about like, what do I want for dinner? That hasn't been relevant in months for me <laughs> because I have, to, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And so we are just trying to get through the day, right? Like, is it in the fridge? How, you know, can my wife and I heat it up? Like, what does that, what does that look like? So, so I think having that full picture 
um, of, of not this two dimensional version of what authenticity is, or this external vision of what it means to be authentic, but really going inside first and knowing where I am in all of those places and then presenting that it's, it's an undeniable way to, to kind of get to authenticity. And I agree. A lot of people like you can't tell me whether or not I'm being authentic, but it's, right. it's, it's impossible for you to tell me, but I have to be able to be radically honest with myself to know if I am or not. And also transparency and authenticity are two completely different things, right? Like to be fully authentic, I don't have to tell you everything to tell you enough. And right. so I think those are the things, yeah, there's some nuance to it that you don't see on the, you know, five steps of authenticity on the, you know, supermarket magazine on, at checkout. You know what I mean? There's right. a different version of it there. And that it, then we have to be willing to morph with it, right? It's like the more we know that changes our authenticity. It's, it's something that we're constantly calibrating as we move through life, we have different experiences, all of those things. Right. I want to back up for one second. We're yeah. going to keep going with this. Um, you are 50 yeah. and you just said you have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I do. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being an older parent is, is, a, is a different experience, I think. And so my wife carried both of our boys. She's uh, 12 yeah. years younger than I am. And so it was... Um, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if I would have been, I mean, I feel like there's a, a wiseness that comes to yes. parent, starting to parent at this age. My knees would probably disagree <laughs> with that a little bit, but, um, I, I think it's great, but there, there are some, some challenges. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I don't know if I could have done it at 30. Um, there wasn't a situation in my life where that would have happened accidentally. Yeah. So it was obviously super intentional, but it is, you know, I feel like I do this constant, I mean, it took me a while. I'm like, there are my therapist and I are working on it, but I'm, I'm trying really hard. You know, you do this constant, I always, I'm doing the calculation of how old will the kids be when I die? Oh, you can't and do that. I know, but it, it, it is like this natural part of, I know. and it's why I get it. I'm, I'm like working through it, but like, am I going to see them dot, dot, dot. Right. And, and I think that was, I think you're in survival mode. I mean, the two-year-old, I mean, we're still kind of there, but I think we, you get to the point of the kids are turning into humans and you see their trajectory and their interest and the things that they do. And, and it started for me as like, will you, will I be able to play soccer with him? Will I be able like, at what point will he be more athletic than I am for my oldest? And Listen, that happens. I was in my thirties <laughs> when I had it. And I remember rollerblading with my son and I could always beat him. And all of a sudden he starts doing crossovers and that and I'm like, I'm out. And like he just, he just, just at you. 10, he yes. just dusted me. So that's oh any gosh, age, right. that's not 50. Totally. So just, totally. Yeah. So I think there, I think I just have an awareness and I think it's like, you know, brought together my, um, just mindfulness around health and taking care of my body and, and really why, you know, knowing how much you can control, how much you can't control. But, um, yeah, it is. And we had, uh, so my youngest was born, um, really early. He was born at 26 weeks. So we were in the NICU oh. for um, three months with wow. them. Um, yeah. And he doesn't have any residual. He's great. We were super lucky and had amazing care here. Um, but that was another thing that I feel like there was uh, something about age for me made that a, um, 
I was, I felt lucky that I could bring that my age to that environment. Right. Um, right. which felt, uh, important to me in that. So I don't, you know, I don't know. I feel like every time I see a, you know, they're usually dads. Every time I see a dad at school with gray hair, I'm like, yes, awesome. You're old too. <laughs> gray, let's start the, old, the old parents club. Oh my, that's so funny. Well, I had a girlfriend who was like that. She had her son kind of a lot later than her daughter. And she was like that too. She's like, all these moms are in their twenties. She's in her forties. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, but if it makes you feel better, I have had guests on that are talking about, you know, we are so much healthier and that we should live into our nineties could mm-hmm. be later. Like it's actually sure. a problem on the financial for, side. For sure. I interviewed Jean Chatsky and she was like, you know, but as great as that is, there's also, are we prepared for that? So right. it's almost like you need to be more concerned. Do you have the money to live as yeah. long to watch your kids grow up? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's been, it, I mean, it's an amazing, amazing journey. And we're in the yeah. thick of it. It's so funny yeah. when I talk to people that are, you know, my age or in, in their fifties and I tell them that most of them have kids that are in college or whatever. <laughs> they just go, wow, you're in it. Like that is such a universal sentiment well, from from That's, parents that have been through it, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I was in my thirties. So yeah. thinking we started a little bit late, but you're right. It's just a different perspective and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You exactly. have no idea what it would have been like in your thirties. So right. you do bring, you probably bring a great calm yeah. to your, cause like, we'll be all right. It's fine. It's you fine. don't want to sleep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? We're going to be fine. Uh, all right, let's get back. Let's get back to your topics and yeah. um, your book. Step up has eight pillars. Um, obviously, we don't have time to dive into all eight of them, but let's sure. talk about you know the, our audience is you know mainly women over fifty. Although we're we are inspiring a great demographic of younger women who sure. love hearing from us. Uh, but if you could pick, let's say, three of your pillars that we really need to focus on today, that could really you know create impact and transformation, where would we start? I think the first one has to be empathy. I mean, I think yes. that there's just such a, a, a lack of that in our world or maybe a decrease in that. I mean, I feel like we have connection with people, but our, I think COVID was a huge piece of it. Obviously, the way we consume media now is we get in these echo chambers where we don't hear different opinions. And so we make assumptions about other people. And that's like also part of that authenticity work, right? Like if you don't tell me, or I'm not curious enough to know what the other person on the other side of the table thinks, feels, and wants, I'm going to fill in the blanks, right? Like I'm going to make up a story about them that fits the narrative that I either believe or have been told. And so how do we really engage with people that we disagree with, that we just don't live? But I also think, you know, we have this, the fringe elements of politics, like so few, we're all in the center of that bell curve for the most part, right? Like we are compassionate totally humans that understand yeah. that we're not arguing about the things that, that are on the news, right? We're just trying to make sure our kids are safe, right? And, and the thing is, we, we all want the same things. Our ways of getting there are different, but we this polarization is pulling us apart that we can't even see the humanity in somebody whose end goal is the same as ours. And, and so I think that that's, and I think the important thing about empathy is I don't have to agree with somebody. It doesn't have to change my mind. I just have to be willing to see 
what it's like to be them genuinely curiously with no, like I'm not engaging to change their mind. I'm strong enough in my beliefs that I don't think they're going to change mine, right? That it isn't adversarial. It's truly curiosity. And how do we have that, that willingness and that openness to just learn what it's like to be somebody else? Again, it doesn't mean we have to agree with them. We just have a, a willingness to, to see that humanity. So I think empathy just has to be the first one. If we can teach that, you know, to our kids, to, to people in leadership, like in, in all aspects of our lives, like that's also the thing about authenticity is like, it's not something that I do at work and I, you know, open my laptop or turn on my video or show up at the office and I'm authentic and, and then I close it and it's over. Right. Or I do it at my kid's soccer practice, but I leave that and then I'm not right. Like it is, it right. is not something that I do. It's something that I am and it's how I operate in the world. And so I feel like so much now that personal professional development has such an overlap because if I am a better human, I'm a better parent. I'm a better leader. I'm a better community member, right? Like I am trying to be a better person and that infiltrates in all aspects of, of my life. And so empathy is one of the ways that that, that really shows up. I think you can teach empathy. I think people are just naturally that way. Or do you, do you really think you can guide them into that? I think that they have to have a willingness, right? I think they have to have a willingness and a curiosity just to, to learn, right? And, and how many people, I feel like if you're random conversations that you've struck up with somebody where you learn something that you never knew before. Like that's why we talk people on airplanes. Why we, you know what I mean? That's like why we try to connect and be on the surface level of, you know, networking functions where it's like, where are you from? What do you do? Like the deeper version of like, what are you passionate about? What do you love? Whatever those, those things that we know are a coworker that we've seen forever, but we get to know one more thing about them, the sports team that they like, like whatever kind of lights them up. Then we have this, this entry point of seeing them as a person and not how they relate to us. Right. But like who they are independently of us. So I, I think there, there has to be a curiosity and a willingness or, or we lose it. Right. Like, or, or without that, I don't think we can get there. I agree. And, and the person who wants to be empathetic already has, has a starter kit going, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe they need a little help, but, um, um, okay. Pillar two. Uh, then I would say the second one has to be courage, right? Like we have to be brave enough to be uncomfortable. Um, and that you, we have to do that next thing that is scary. Like if we are not, it goes back to that somatic feeling, like the pit of pit of your stomach. One of my favorite images that I use in my presentations is a kid standing on a high dive and he, and you just like see him looking over the edge. But then you, and you know what that feels like, right? Like you look over the edge, you back up, you like let the person behind you go. Like you have to like psych yourself up to do it. But the kids sitting on, there's also kids sitting on the side of the pool. And if they've never been in the water before, the feeling is the same. Like it doesn't matter how high your high dive is, right? It's that feeling of fear. So you know, when you're pushing your limits, you know, when you're outside of your comfort zone, like you know, again, that's something that's subjective that you can decide. And so when we, when we're in that place of, of having a little bit of fear, because courage isn't the absence of fear, right? It's feeling the fear and just doing the thing anyway, that I think is, is one of the most important things that we can do is just be a a little bit braver, right? We're not asking somebody that can't swim to jump off the high dive. We're asking you to be 5% braver. 10% 
10% braver. Be willing to sit in that the uncomfortable just a little bit longer to see how how it how it turns out, right? Oh, you have my brain spinning cuz I I'm a pretty status quo kind of girl. Like I yeah. don't I, I don't push my boundaries, but there are things that I I want that I would, you know, so maybe I need to push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit more and pick up the phone or ask, you know, do do things do that extra 5% of courage. And then you just see um, where it lands, right? Like you, you do it and you can try it in low risk situations right, to right. just kind of, because then what that discomfort you're willing to, to tolerate and exist in, that ceiling becomes your floor, right? There are these like, and that's why it's step up, right? There's these incremental pieces of growing and, and nurturing and, and navigating. And, and also in that journey, right? Like if you look at it, you want it to be this line that goes, you know, on a graph that goes like that. But if you zoom in, it's like up and down and up and down and up and down, right? You have to have those, those failures to kind of get, but if you're not, if you're not feeling uncomfortable, if you're not failing a little bit, then like, are you growing? And I, that's a question that everybody can ask themselves. But, but I think that that's right. a real and question. We talk about, I, I speak a lot to college students and I tell them my journey, you know, I graduated with a degree in um, political science in German. And now, you know, I'm a podcast host, a lifestyle expert, PR strategist. And they look at me and I said, yep, failure number one out of college was I couldn't get into law school. So what I wanted to do, like start chalking them up because you're going to have a hundred of them throughout, you know, your, your lifetime. And this, what you talk about courage is so important for, for the women listening, because a lot of them are now reinventing. They mm-hmm. may have been stay-at-home moms. Um, they may have been in corporate. They may now be an empty nest, which, you know, that, that's a little scary in itself. You know, you, you're hoping that you're still in love with your significant other that you're now back to being alone with. But having that fear or having the, the confidence to know that it's okay to be scared and, and to have the courage to embark on your second chapter, your third chapter, that it's okay to try it. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, one of my favorite sayings is fail forward, right? Like as long yes. as, as, as you're doing it and you're learning something from it, there truly is no failure and you're going to fail. <laughs> like, I think right. that that's, that's yes. part of it. And so to, to think that you're going to plot this, I've, I've people that I've worked with that are maybe of a, maybe, maybe not as seasoned in, in industry or, or wherever they are. And they live this existence of just not failing. And that is, is not going to be as fulfilling of a life. And you're not going to have those breakthroughs and you're not going to figure it out if you just exist to not, not fail. So I think making failure in these non-consequential environments is where it matters, right? Like you have to learn to sit in failure, learn from it, and then go back the next time. Right. Right. And it, and it's, I actually got a LinkedIn message from one young woman who was in the audience and she said, oh my gosh, you know, you, you, you gave me permission to fail. Like I'll be okay. Like I realize that, like, I'm not going to get to the success that I want if I don't fail along the way. I was like, I did my job. One person, you know, as long as one person gets that message. Uh, I, I always feel so empowered that I was able to help one person with it. 
Right. And you, you know that um, there's going to be like a slide back, right? Like you're going to fail, but you're never going to fall back to the beginning because of all of the work and the learning that you put in. So it's never, there's always, a, there's always a gain. Like you just have yeah. to look at that any of those setbacks there's you're always gaining ground because you're growing and learning and you're not going to do, you're not going to make the same mistake again. And right. that is, there's leverage in that, right? Like you take that with you and you are that much more, that's what experience is, right? It's just like a accumulation of all your failures that you learn from. <laughs> uh, I tell the story there. Um, I interviewed an author and um, it was all about next, uh, you know, your next chapters. And one of the people that she interviewed in the book was a biologist or is a biologist. And she actually published her CV of failure and it went viral. Wow. And it's, but if you think about it and what she learned at the end of the day is that she was a much better biologist in, I can't remember if it was in the lab or computational, but what she realized is she kept failing here, but here's where she was succeeding. So she shifted her career to where she should have been, but she would have never realized it if she hadn't done her CV of failure. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. I'm like, oh, I could write a book on that. A book on my CV of failure. Totally. <laughs> Um, okay. Third pillar before we wrap up. And it, it's, it's tied to courage, but it's what we've been talking about. It's the next lead in and it's grace. Like you got to give yourself a break. You got to give yourself a second. And this is more, I mean, I think you, you have grace externally, right? We, we want to be gentle leaders. We want to mm. bring people along. We don't want to be so regimented that we can't be inclusive in our leadership and help people grow. But I think before you can do that, you have to have grace with yourself. Like we keep, whether you're reinventing yourself, whether you're internalizing the external judgment, you know, I'm not good enough. Who do I think I am to reinvent myself? Like so much of that happens. Like you just have to give yourself a break and, and love yourself and have grace and have that 35,000 foot view and not get caught up in the minutia or these minor failures, like you just have to know that the graph is going in the right direction and that there's going to be mistakes and, and you, you know, there are going to, there's going to be judgments and, and, and our job is to make ourselves resilient against that. Um, but at the end of, at the end of the day, I think if you are, in this process of trying to be a better human, you're succeeding, right? Like it has to, there is a certain point where it can't be solely focused on outcomes and it has to be focused on growth and only you can be the, the determiner of that. And so I think grace is, is it's too, it's too hard to not life happens. Love one of my friends says life gets lifey. And it just inevitably yeah. does. Well, like it's that. like, isn't yeah. it? She's genius. Um, but yeah, it's life gets lifey. And it just, and everybody knows what that means, right? Like, you know what it means when there's yeah. going to be this sharp, you're going to, there's going to be tragedy. There's going to be success. There's going to be those things. And, and you just have to give yourself the space and the time that you need to just be human. And such an important lesson, not, not just for women our age, but, but younger women. Yeah. I feel my daughter's 23. I feel the pressure on them. You know, you've got social media. How do you look, you know, without your filters, um, you know, your job, how much money are you making? And like with her, it's really interesting. She's got four roommates and she's not making 
as much money as the roommates are, but she loves her job. And I keep telling her, you know, like, that's okay. You're happy. But, but to let them, you know, to give themselves the grace and the, it's okay that you don't make what your roommates make. You look right. at the bright side. You're the only one in the whole house who loves her job. Like yeah. They get so jealous that she wakes up happy every morning going exactly. to work. I mean, there's something to be said about that. Absolutely. And that you have, uh, I think there's also a huge piece of, you don't have to know what you're going to do. Like there, it isn't this idea that you're locked into this right. career, this job choice. Like, I think the most important thing that I would say to somebody who's, you know, in their twenties now is I always look for the open door. Like you don't know where they're going to open, but you got to be aware when they do and make that conscious decision. Is that what you're going to do? But they're opening constantly. You just have to have a willingness to do that. And what you declared your major to be when you were 18 years old, does not matter. It doesn't matter. Right. Like it truly, if you're, if you're focused and you know, that's what you want to do and you want to be a biologist or you want to be an engineer, right. like, great, do it. Awesome. They can still change their mind as well. But if you don't, it's okay. It is. Oh, yeah. Okay. I love it. I, Cause I tell the students that all the time. I'm like this piece of paper gets you out the door in May and get your foot in the door for that first job. But the sky is the limit. Yeah, and when they hear definitely. my path, wait, you did what? And then you did what? And yeah. then you did what? So, um, oh my gosh, this has been so great. Okay. We end the podcast um, with the same two questions, but since you just turned 50, I'm going to skip the first one. I got it. Um, to, we don't, you haven't experienced a lot in your fifties yet. Although being a new mom at 50 is pretty amazing. Um, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Ooh, 10 years. That's a great one. Um, let's see. I, I have been lucky enough that the jobs that I've had for the last probably 20 years of my life and whatever combination they have been, I have truly loved. Like I honestly, I work hard. Um, but I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. Like it, and that is, feels so, I'm so grateful. Um, yeah. Of how I got there and the support that I've had and, you know, a, a company that my dad put together that I help run now. And like, so I have tremendous gratitude for that. Um, so I hope that I'm still doing that. Um, I, where do I see myself? I would hope that I, um, continue speaking. Um, I really, I really love that. I'm doing a little bit more smaller group work and executive coaching and team rebuilding and, and stuff like that. So I would love for that to continue. Um, I would love to be able to hold a handstand in yoga. I'm trying to do a lot of yoga now and um, yeah. I can do a headstand, but not a handstand. So I feel okay. like 10 years is a good, <laughs> it's a, is a good like ramp that. up for that. Let's see. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think I would hopefully be, be where I am with like a, probably a couple more, couple more scars, um, and a little bit more knowledge, um, and, and just still, still happy. I'm starting, I'm like, it feels like I'm starting to have my body is changing what it needs, uh, and the care that it needs. And I, uh, am trying to not be resistant to that and be a listener and not just like a driver. Um, so that adjustment I, I would hope would, would continue to be at a, in a happy place with, with my body. Um, and yeah, I think just, uh, happiness, um, hopefully, um, you know, happy, healthy kids, wife, family, like that's what else could, awesome. what else could you want? 
Well, and you'll be headed in the teenage years then. So I'll be thinking of you in 10 years. <laughs> I know everybody. I was like, does it get easier? They said, no, it just gets different. It just gets it's different. different. I said to my husband this morning, we were really blessed that, I mean, we had issues when they were teenagers, but nothing major. They never said they hated us. So at the end of the day, wow. we won. Yeah. Absolutely. You're we we like mom years, of the right? year. Wow. Right. Yeah. Never heard those words out of either child to either That's one of us. That's amazing. pretty, oh pretty my good. Goodness. Yeah. That's great. Well, there you go. But then that also that I hope I never hear it. in 10 years. I you hope won't. I don't hear that either. You won't. Cause you're, you're good. Again, we're talking about the age you're, you're going to, you're going to be a different mom. You're going to be very laid back and relaxed. You'll be great. Yeah. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Everyone check out, um, Ash's Ted talks. And her book, Stand Up, everything will be in the show notes. And I so appreciate our time together. Oh, absolutely, Christina. And thank you so much for making something, you know, for this for this segment that I feel like women start to disappear from from where things get targeted towards as we as we get to this age. So it's just a, it's an honor to be on the program. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening or for watching this episode of Living Ageless and Bold. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit subscribe. And if you like the episode, I hope that you will give us a great review. You can also head over to livingagelessandbold.com and sign up for information, inspiration, and exclusive opportunities for us, women over 55. Thanks for listening. And remember, no matter what you do, keep living ageless and bold.